Good morning, everyone. I want to uh, share this morning on the phenomena of faith and um, maybe prime the pump a little bit by looking at some initial scriptures. Um, the scriptures say, for we walk by faith and not by sight. And without faith, it's impossible to please him, and the righteous man shall live by his faith. What a great place to start. How many of you want to live by faith? Walk by faith and not by sight. Have this extra dimension of faith going on in our lives. In Hebrews chapter 11, we read about what is sometimes referred to as God's hall of faith. All these examples of Old Testament folks who walked in faith. Nineteen times we read by faith. By faith, we understand the world was prepared by the word of God. By faith, Abel offered to God a better sacrifice. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. By faith, Noah, in reverence, prepared an ark, and so on, and so on. And leading into that chapter, we're told by the writer of Hebrews that we are not of those who shrink back to destruction, but of those who have faith to the preserving of the soul. You know, faith is such a powerful dynamic, isn't it? That um, like every powerful thing that we humans have a chance to mess around with, we, we twist it, don't we? We try to control it. We try to manipulate and exploit uh, powerful things in our lives so that we have more control, so that we have more power, we feel safer. And of course, this is true of faith. We have had many, many destructive and uh, uh, hurtful teachings around faith. I could list them, but it's too depressing. Uh, and uh, so I have wanted to um, uh, take a look at faith afresh. In Romans 4, we read of Abraham, the father of our faith, uh, that he did not waver in unbelief, but he grew strong in faith. That's an encouraging little phrase to me, that Abraham, the father of our faith, grew in his faith. In other words, it just wasn't dropped in his lap, but he had to he had to work at it. He had to grow. Let me read just a few verses from Romans chapter 4 starting in verse 18 about Abraham. It says, "In hope against hope he believed, in order that he might become a father of many nations." according to that which had been spoken to him, so shall your descendants be. And without becoming weak in faith, he contemplated his own body, now as good as dead, since he was about a 100 years old, and the deadness of Sarah's womb. 
Have you ever been believing for something in faith and you look at the circumstances and it, there's just no way? There's just no way when you look at the circumstances. But here's Abraham looking at his age, looking at Sarah's uh, age, and he's, he's hanging on to faith. It says, with, yet with respect to the promise of God, he did not waver in unbelief, but grew strong in faith giving glory to God. I think of Abraham hanging on to faith, not wavering, and giving, the, giving glory to God even before it happened. Uh, just thanking God and believing God. Well, after 45 years of walking with the Lord, I want to grow in faith. Amen? Uh, you need me to grow in faith, probably. But I know you want to grow in faith. You want to grow in faith just as I do. And so what I want to do is put aside, try to put aside all the, the past teachings that I've heard on faith, that you've heard on faith, good and bad, really, and just look at what Jesus had to say and what he demonstrated and what he taught about faith in the Gospels. And I've come away with, Seven observations or seven lessons that I want to share with you this morning. The title of this message is Growing Strong in Faith. Growing Strong or Stronger in Faith. So here's the first thing that I noticed. Jesus taught faith in God, not faith in faith or the strength of our faith. Uh, to me, this is a very, very critical distinction. And we see it in Mark 11, uh, verse 22, where this is the story, if you remember, of the fig tree, where Jesus is hungry one afternoon and he's walking past a fig tree and he tries to go get some fruit and there's no figs on the tree. And so he curses the tree. He says, may you never produce fruit again. The next day, they're walking past in the opposite direction. They're walking past that fig tree. And Peter says, look, Lord, at the fig tree that you cursed. And Jesus said this, verse 22, have faith in God. And then he went on to say, truly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says is going to happen, it shall be granted him. And then he went on and said, Therefore I say to you, all things for which you pray and ask, believe that you have received them, and they shall be granted to you. Now if you look at verse 23 in isolation, if you were to take that verse in isolation and um, build a theology on it, you might come up with something like, we're supposed to speak, to diseases, or we're supposed to speak to things that are troubling us rather than speak to the Lord. If you take verse 24 and isolate it, you might believe that um, we're to have faith in faith, or it's the strength of our faith that matters. But what I want to say is tho those two verses are supporting verse 22. Verse 22 says, have faith in, in, in God. 
not in the strength of our faith, not in faith itself, we're to have faith in God. Now, we've taught before that faith is only as strong as the object you put it in. If you get on a plane uh, in Tulsa here and you're going to fly to New York, um, you have a reasonable amount of faith that you're not going to crash. And what's that faith based on? Well, it's based on a pretty darn good uh, safety record of airlines. I looked up one, uh, I tried to look up some stats ab about that, and um, one site I saw was a lifestyle media group called The Points Guy, or TPG, named Jason S Stell. And he writes that between 2009 and 2014, out of 30 million commercial flights in 2014, there were 21 fatal accidents, or point zero 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 seven percent chance of dying by flying commercially in the United States or one in 1.43 million. He says between 2009 and 2013 by comparison there were between 30 to 35,000 deaths per year by automobile. But then he goes on to compare it to other things. For example, there were 30, in any given year, each of those years between 2009 and 2014, there were about 30,000 deaths by accidental falls. There were about 28,000 by unintentional poisoning, 16,000 homicides, 27 deaths from lightning, 80 deaths per year from tornadoes. He said it's actually more likely that you would get eaten by a bear then you would die on a commercial flight in the United States. So it's pretty safe to fly. And so if you do, um, you are putting some faith in the object in which you fly and the pilot and so on. You might have, here's another example that we've talked about in the past. You might have extremely strong faith that you can go across a pond that has extremely thin ice. But I would rather be the guy that has very little faith going across a pond that has very thick ice. I would like the object of my faith to be very thick and deep and strong. And that's exactly what God is. He's thick and deep and strong, and we can put our faith in him. He is the object of our faith. When you drill down and you say, well, 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 what is faith in God? What are we really saying? We're saying that we have faith in the character of God. Amen? And so we read in Luke 11, 11 through 13, uh, these words. Now suppose one of you fathers is asked by his son for a fish. He won't give him a snake instead of a fish, will he? Or if he's asked for an egg, he won't give him a scorpion, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him?
In Matthew 6, we read that we are of great value to the Lord. So I'm going to read through a list of what some of the things that I believe based on the Word of God. And you tell me if you believe these same things. I believe that while I was a sinner, God demonstrated his love for me in that Christ died for me. I believe that the very hairs of my head are numbered and known by God. I believe that like Jeremiah, before he formed me in the womb, he knew me. Do you believe that? That he scrutinizes my path and he's intimately acquainted with all my ways. Do you believe that? That if I'm faithless, he will remain faithful. I hope you believe that. That his love rests upon me and that he will never leave me or forsake me. The reason we have faith in God is because of who he is and what he's revealed about himself in his word. Surely, the lesson number one about faith that Jesus taught is have faith in God. Have faith in God, not in the strength of your faith. Whereas the scriptures make a lot of statements like this, all things are possible to him who believes. I would like to train myself, and I hope you'll train yourself, to add the object who believe in God, in God, have faith in God. So let's just let that four-word phrase just resonate in our minds from here on in. Have faith in God. Laura and I went to uh, see Dr. Dudney one time, and uh, we really didn't get down to our medical issue because Dr. Dudney just launched on this, these four words, have faith in God. And he just was so excited about this revelation that he'd had. And uh, it was a lot of fun, but took a lot of time. <laughs> All right, let's look at point number two. There's just in the red box are some, some uh, references that I, I made. Jesus consistently commended and rewarded expectant faith or bold faith. Let's look at Matthew 8. This is the story of the centurion servant being healed. Matthew 8, starting in verse 5. And when he had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, entreating him and saying, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering great pain. And he said to him, I will come and heal him. Don't you like that? Jesus just said, I'll come and heal him. But the centurion answered and said, Lord, I'm not worthy for you to come under my roof. But what? Just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me, and I say to this one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my slave, do this, and he does it. Now when Jesus heard this, he what? He marveled. 
And he said to those who were following, Truly I say to you, I have not found such great faith with anyone in Israel. Down in verse 13, And Jesus said to the centurion, Go your way, let it be done to you as you have believed. The servant was healed that very hour. So this centurion understood something, didn't he? What did he understand? He understood the authority of Jesus, the authority of God. And so he had no worries about Jesus needing to come to his house. Just say the word. And Jesus marveled at his great faith. Likewise, he saw the faith of the men who lowered the paralytic down through the roof, didn't he? It said, the scriptures say he saw their faith. And so he forgave the man his sins, and then he healed the paralytic. The woman with the issue of blood, she was saying within herself, if only I can touch his garment, I will be healed. Jesus rewarded her faith, saying, Daughter, take courage. Your faith has made you well. Hebrews 11.6 kind of sums this up by saying, And without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who earnestly seek him. I was mentioning the worship team last Sunday that I was going to probably preach on faith. And Dawn talked to me and she said, Jim, what, you know, this is so great. She said, you know, I would like to see us, um, when we pray for someone, ask them if anything has happened right in the moment. Shouldn't we do that? Shouldn't we do more of that? And I said, absolutely. And I thought of of Mark 8, uh, where Jesus prayed for a blind man from um, Bethsaida. He, Jesus took him by the hand and took him out of the city, and he spit on his eyes and prayed for him, and then he did what? Do you remember? He said, he said what, uh, what do you see? So he did exactly what Don is talking about. He asked the blind man, what do you see? And the blind man said, I see men walking around like trees. And so Jesus, the Bible says Jesus laid his hands on the man's eyes again and prayed for him. And then he saw clearly. So isn't that a beautiful picture of... Um, seeing what's changed in the moment, and then praying again. Somehow it blesses me that Jesus had to pray twice. You know, uh, that encourages me uh, that that happened. Expectant faith sometimes can transport us into another dimension. I don't know, have any of you been at a place or a time where the power of God was there and, and things were just happening. Uh, it, it's, it's like you've, you've uh, I guess you ha we have, we've moved into another dimension. Uh, let me, first of all, 
let you know that that happened in the Gospels too. Um, in Luke 5, verse 17, when they lower the, before they lower the paralytic down to Jesus, um, Luke writes that the power of the Lord was present for him to perform healings. The power of the Lord was present for him to perform healings, almost as if sometimes it wasn't quite so strong. And um, so I remember... Um, in my ORU days, getting a, uh, in the mail, getting a prayer cloth from President Roberts saying, pray, you know, if you have a need, uh, pray over this prayer cloth and send it back to me and I'll pray for you. And I remember thinking, what a gimmick. This is, this is stupid. You know, I just, I, I'm, I'm way too sophisticated for this, you know. And uh, so I threw it away. And, uh, but then I went with a friend named Victor Zapata down one weekend to a very um, rural part of Mexico. And Victor was a, is a flaming evangelist, an incredible man of God. And um, so I... I fasted for about a week before I went down there with him. And so there was this, this powerful meeting. Um, it was one of those times of heightened faith. People were, um, oh man, there was just all kinds of stuff happening. Um, but at the end of the meeting, you know, we were praying for people and the people were bringing up pictures and articles of clothing for us to lay our hands on and to pray for. Knowing that, you know, knowing that they would take these articles of clothing home and put them on their child. And you know what? I didn't have any trouble believing for healing through that method in that situation. Isn't that interesting that in one context, my Western scientific skeptical mind was saying, no, this is silly, but with people who had nothing but their faith in God, how could I not align with that and do my best to pray in faith? In case you're interested uh, in Acts 19, there was such a time for Paul. Verse 11 of Acts 19, and God was performing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul so that handkerchiefs or aprons were even carried from his body to the sick and the diseases left them and the evil spirits went out. God rewards expectant faith in him. And Jesus consistently commended and rewarded bold, expectant faith. 
Point number three is this. On the other side of the column, Jesus routinely rebuked and admonished timid or doubting faith. For example, you all remember the story of the storm in the boat and Jesus is asleep and there arose a great storm, but he was asleep. They awoke him saying, save us, Lord, we are perishing. And he said to them, why are you so timid, you men of little faith? Tom Lotz used to say, why are you freaking out? He rebuked the wind and it became perfectly calm. In Mark 9, verse 20, starting in verse 20, we read about an amazing conversation between the father of a demonized boy and uh, Jesus. He comes down from the Mount of Transfiguration. He sees that there's a, a hubbub with his disciples, and he goes over and finds out what's going on, and they say there's this boy, and we've prayed over him, and we're not having any success. And so they bring the boy to him, starting in verse 20. When, when the boy saw Jesus, immediately the spirit threw him into a convulsion, and falling to the ground, he began rolling about and foaming at the mouth. And he asked, Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And it has often thrown him both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. And Jesus said what? If you can, all things are possible to him who believes. Jesus seems offended, doesn't he? If you can. You know, we all have seasons of doubt, don't we? Times of hopelessness, times of doubt. And Jesus definitely admonishes us or rebukes us. And yet I want you to also note that he's extremely compassionate, even when we're in that place. I want to remind you that he spoke to the storm and the wind died down. The scriptures say it became perfectly still. When Peter said, Lord, bid me to come on the water, and Peter starts out and then he starts to sink and he says, Lord, save me. Jesus didn't just think, well, he needs to be taught a lesson, doesn't he? I'll just let him sink. No, he, he reached his hand out to him. He reached his hand out to him. Even while he said, why did you doubt? When he heals the boy with the spirit after the father cries out, Lord, I help my unbelief. Jesus still healed the boy. So I want you to know that even when we're at our low points, even when we're filled with doubt, even when we're filled with timidity and fear, God is still reaching out to save us and help us. Nevertheless, I think we need to absorb the truth that he doesn't like littleness of faith. He doesn't like timidity. He doesn't like doubt. In 2 Timothy 2.7, Paul admonishes his disciple Timothy saying, Kindle afresh the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. 
For God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of love, of power, and sound judgment. I happened to not look at my email for about three days, and this morning I thought, I better look at my email. And uh, there was something from Heather about 2019 being a year of courage, a year of faith. And that's, that's what I'm trying to capture this morning. May we have a year of courage and faith as we face the mountains in our lives. Can I get an amen to that? Thank you, Lord. Number four. Jesus stressed that strong faith requires tenacity in action and perseverance in prayer. Think of the story of uh, blind Bartimaeus um, and how he cried out to the Lord. It says many were telling him sternly to be quiet, but he kept crying out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. What do you, and I love this. Jesus said, what do you want me to do for you? It would be so wonderful if we heard those words when we're in our prayer closet and facing those mountains. What do you want me to do for you? And maybe, maybe he is saying that. I don't know. He said, I want to regain my sight. Jesus healed him and said, go your way. Your faith has made you well. How did Jesus know he had faith? It had to be that persistence of crying out even though people were sternly telling him to be quiet. We also read about the persistent widow in Luke 18. You know that story. Jesus said he told this parable that we ought always to pray and not lose heart. And then there's the, the widow uh, talking to the unrighteous judge and he finally gives her what she wants just to get her off his back. And uh, there's a comparison made between this unrighteous judge and, or a contrast, excuse me, and God who answers prayer. I will give her what she wants to get her off my back. Persistence. And then there's the parable of the sower and the seed. In Luke 18, um, we read that the one who is in good soil... The seed in the good soil, these are the ones who have heard the word in an honest and good heart and hold it fast and bear fruit with, anybody know? Perseverance. Perseverance. So I think that's really true in so many areas where we have good intentions, we know the right thing to do, we give it a few shots, but we don't persevere. Isn't that true? So much of life is about perseverance. Napoleon said, victory belongs to the most persevering. Louis Pasteur said, let me tell you the secret that has led me to my goal. My strength lies solely in my tenacity. Margaret Thatcher said, you may have to fight a battle more than once to win it. We all know the Vince Lombardi said, it's not whether you get knocked down, it's whether you get up again. But I especially like a quote by Spurgeon. He said, by perseverance, 
the snail reached the ark. <laughs> yeah. And Jesus, of course, said, ask and keep on asking. Knock and keep on knocking. Seek and keep on seeking. Have the order a little mixed up there. Jesus emphatically stressed that strong faith requires tenacity and perseverance, especially in prayer. Number five, Jesus urgently warned that the devil wants to destroy our faith. Well, we know this, but here's a few scriptures. John 10.10, 10, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. Luke 22, Simon, Simon, Satan has demanded to sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when the devil had finished every temptation in Luke 4 of Jesus himself, this last line just captures me. He departed from him until an opportune time. Those potato chips survive in my cupboard until an opportune time. <laughs> so I want you to take a minute and think about how the devil is trying to destroy your faith right now. Maybe you're in a battle with constant and piercing pain. Maybe there's a temptation to give up praying for a rebellious child or an unsaved loved one, or a stubborn disease. Maybe you're in a slugfest with a recurring depression or a bout of anxiety. Maybe there's a compulsive sin problem that leaves you defeated and full of shame. Maybe he is just wearing you down and you're hanging on by a thread or Maybe there's been too many senseless tragedies in your life and you're questioning God's involvement or trustworthiness. May he save us from these very real challenges of life, these very real attacks from the enemy. Jesus urgently warned that the devil wants to destroy our faith. Point six, this is a bit of a, of a complex one in my mind, but Jesus demonstrated that even the most righteous person can get a no from God because sometimes God's higher will requires it. In Luke 22, 42 through 44, we read about Jesus in the garden. When he arrived at the place, he said to his disciples, pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw. And he knelt down and he began to pray, saying, Father, if thou art willing, remove this cup from me. Yet not my will, but thine be done. Now an angel from heaven appeared to him, strengthening him, yet being in agony, he was praying very fervently, and his sweat became like drops of blood falling down 
upon the ground. I'd like you to consider here that his prayer was extremely fervent. I'd like you to consider that Jesus, if Jesus had perfect faith, I'd like you to consider that his request was turned down. He did go to the cross. And I think the reason is in the text. Not my will, but your will be done. The Father's will trumped his will in the moment. And I think it should be the same for us that we should not despair. If we're walking in the light, in other words, there's no, we're not perfect, but there's no hidden sin in our life. There's no hidden sin habit. If we're not praying for something with wrong motives to spend it on our own pleasures, if we're praying fervently with fullness of faith and we're persevering in prayer and yet we get a final no, I'm thinking here, say, of praying for a loved one to come to Christ and then they die and there's no indication uh, that they have received Christ. I think we can, we just have to rest in God's will and trust that the reason we got to know is that his higher purposes are at work. Um, otherwise, it takes you to a place where you're saying, can I really trust God? Is he really involved in my life? Does he really care? Has he removed himself? Ha is he a liar? Uh, I think that Jesus here in the garden points the way that we often have to just rest in the will of God and in the mystery of God. You know, sometimes we're afraid of a no, and so we don't pray fervently. Um, and I want to, you know, again from this text, say, let us pray fervently and not be afraid of a no. Can I get your agreement on that? Let's not be afraid. All our yeses are in him. All our yeses are in him. And if he says no, then uh, I'm going to leave it. I'm going to leave it with him. Paul had the same experience with a thorn in the flesh, didn't he? Where he sought the Lord three times for a healing. And yet God said no. He said, my strength is made perfect in your weakness or weakness. So we have both Jesus and both Paul and Paul getting a no. I think that says that it's possible for us to get a no despite our most fervent prayer, despite our best exercise of faith. And at that point, what I want to say to you as one of your elders, uh, rest in God at that point. Rest in his sovereignty. You have done your job. But don't let fear of a no take you out of the battle. Amen? Let's remember that both Jesus and Paul got a no from God. Sometimes we need to just leave it with the Lord. And then the last point is 
that uh, Jesus triumphantly declared that with faith in God, there are limitless, limitless possibilities. Again, back to the story of the father and the son and the father saying, if you can do anything. Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible to him who believes. If I could plant uh, a couple of lines from today's message in your mind and know that you would just carry them around with you for the rest of your life, it would be the first point, have faith in God. And this point, all things are possible to him who believes in the living God. Hallelujah. We read in another place, out of your belly, Jesus said, shall flow rivers of living water. And another place he said, truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the words that I do, the works that I do, he shall also do. And greater works than these shall he do, because I go to the Father. I want to pray this morning that for any who share my heart, that this year would be a year of tremendous courage, tremendous faith, tremendous fervency in prayer, tremendous expectation. And so if that's your heart, uh, it doesn't need to be your heart, but I hope it is. Uh, let's stand together and pray for this kind of faith in our lives. Maybe you are feeling run over or helpless or despairing, but you want to just stand as an act of faith, believing that God will touch you right now and give you that victorious, vibrant, courage, encouraging and filled with courage faith. So Father, I ask you to look at us who are standing and saying, deepen our faith, Lord. Like the disciples asked Jesus, increase our faith. Father, we pray that you would touch those who are despairing, those who feel hopelessness, those who have been fighting battles for years and even decades. Uh, Father, renew your faith within our hearts, Lord. Give us great faith, a gift of faith. Strengthen it, deepen it. Don't let it fail, Lord. We pray that we would have faith in God in you Lord and that we would have in our hearts and in our minds and in our our step in our walk that all things are possible to those who believe in you so father give us that vibrancy give us that expectancy give us a renewed sense of faith we do pray in the years ahead that we would experience some of those times where we are taken to a different dimension in you, where the Spirit is moving and healings are happening and uh, miracles are occurring. So, Father, help us to be quick to pray, quick to expect a miracle, 
And um, we just thank you for your word. I thank you for the anointing on your word that breaks the yoke. And uh, we give you all the praise and all the glory. Help us to grow in our faith, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.